everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk, brought to you by co-lead pastor Amos Grunendijk. Well, again, thank you for joining us today. Um, we are in a series called I'm Not Okay. And, I mean, it's just, it's so obvious that we are not okay. And it's not just about the behaviors that we exhibit. It's actually fundamentally about a heart condition. And that's true in our nation, but it's also true for each of us uh, as humans. And that's how I want to relate to you today, like human to human. And we have said that uh, transformation only comes alongside of self-awareness. And what we have in uh, a really, I think, important passage in the book of Romans, chapter 7 and 8, is Paul, uh, who I mentioned earlier is, a, is one of the most prolific writers of the early movement that later was called Christianity, uh, a movement that was rooted in a person uh, named Jesus and how he loved people and what he did uh, to bring an end, ultimately, to violence and pain. Uh, he suffered violence and pain. He brought that upon himself so that someday uh, we could not just experience forgiveness today, but eventually be totally free, uh, free from our vice and free from pain and free from evil. But as we stand here, uh, as we are, we notice that there are actually two forces at work in our hearts. So almost all of us are familiar with uh, the idea behind Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Uh, Very few of us have read the books. Most of us probably have just heard it referenced, or maybe we've seen a play or a movie. But in, uh, in the book, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, there's a doctor who comes up with a potion, and he doesn't turn into an actual monster, but what he does is he realizes that there's a division inside himself between what wants to do good and right and what is drawn toward evil or selfishness. And he thinks, well, I could just resolve the conflict if I could compartmentalize the evil side of myself So like, you know, evil by night and purely good by day. And that's a reality that Paul sort of uncovers here, but says like, ultimately, uh, this is a battle that without God, we cannot win. And in the book, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, uh, Mr. Hyde is the like the selfish, uh, murderous, hateful individual who actually wins the day in that book. That would be a spoiler alert, I suppose. But what Paul is going to say here is that our only hope really for true transformation and true change is by the person of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. So we move from being in a battle that we cannot win into a battle that we cannot lose. Uh, And we're talking about like true, good-hearted being that God leads us toward. But let's start in Romans chapter 7, verse 7. He says, 
I, it was the law that showed me my sin. I would never have known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said, you must not covet. But sin used this kind of command to arouse all kinds of covetous desires within me. If there were no law, sin would not have that kind of power. Just to explain what's going on here, and you've probably all experienced this, there is a selfish and sinful part of us that when we're told not to do something, we want to do it all the more. Um, because we don't, we would say, we don't want anybody telling us how to live. And so if we're told, don't do this, then we go and do it. One of the uh, saints of the early church in the fourth century named Augustine reflects back on a time in his life when he was told not to pick uh, the pears off of a pear tree. And he said, I didn't even like pears, but as soon as I was told, don't do this, I went and I picked those pears, and I didn't eat them. I just did it for the, like, the pleasure of crossing that line. And he said, I threw the pears to the pigs. And he says, that, that was part of that self-centered, sinful nature at work within me. And so we'll see later how like, actually morality, uh, or as Paul describes it here, the law, which he would have primarily seen as those Ten Commandments, which, which many of us know, uh, spurned him actually toward more sin. He said, at that time I lived without understanding of the law. But when I learned the command not to covet, for instance, the power of sin came to life. And so I died. So I discovered that the law's commands, which were supposed to bring life, brought spiritual death instead. Sin took advantage of those commands and deceived me. It used the commands to kill me. But still, the law itself is holy, and its commands are holy and right and good. So morality, he's saying morality is not the problem. Morality is good. God designed the world to function in such a way uh, where if we were truly flourishing, the Ten Commandments would come out of our being. But uh, because of our sinful nature, we actually push against those commandments or those, uh, that design that God has for our life. I'm going to jump down a few verses. Um, this is very dense and very rich text, and so I, I am going to try to turn down the fire hose just a little bit. Paul goes on to say in verse 18, and I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living within me. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power, or the, uh, and because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. 
I want to show you, uh, kind of coming out of this, a, a chart. I've been doing, uh, I guess, I don't know even what to call it. I've been on a journey uh, that I've been led through, through a curriculum called Faith Walking. Um, you'll hear more about that, hopefully, this coming fall and winter. We're hoping to host a Faith Walking course uh, and retreat. But um, this comes from that journey, and it shows kind of how we move from unconscious vice to conscious vice. In other words, there's things we um, do, or there's parts of us that are unhealthy or, or broken, uh, wrong, sinful, evil, whatever, uh, that, that live kind of below our conscious mind. Uh, we move from unconscious vice to conscious vice. This is the journey of self-awareness. But then we don't want to stop there. We want to move to conscious virtue. In other words, this is when we do things out of our new nature or out of the life-giving power that's in us. Uh, but we have to really think about it and pay attention. But something happens over time where that actually like, buries itself down into our heart. You can think of this like a golf swing, I suppose. Like, if you've never been taught how to swing a golf club, you might walk up to a ball and try to hit it. Uh, that's basically the level at which I've done it. You might not even think you're doing anything wrong uh, until you notice a player who's better than you, who can hit it farther than you, and then you start to realize there's something wrong with my swing. Uh, but that doesn't actually improve your swing all by itself. You need to get to a point where you practice or are coached, right, in a new swing. That would be the conscious virtue. And at some point, you don't even have to think through it. It becomes uh, second nature to you. So the, the sinful nature is unconsciously at work at you, but the goal is that the, the new life working in you just comes out of you naturally instead of having to take a lot of effort. Um, we've been talking about self-awareness, and that moving from unconscious vice to conscious vice is, uh, is a painful process. It's been painful for me. Uh, but it's a necessary one. And one of the things I think to notice about uh, just the, the chaos and the, the pain and the hurt and the, the, the sin that's living in all of us throughout the events uh, of the murder of George Floyd and, and everything else is that prejudice and selfishness and greed and anger like to live in that unconscious space. And I, I've said this, but... If you're a greedy person, you don't think of yourself as a greedy person. You're blind to it. If, you're, if you are prejudiced, and I use the word if, but it, the reality is, is that I still have prejudice. It's living down there where I can't even see it. And, and we want to move it into that conscious level so that we can correct it. But I think this is what Paul is talking about there in Romans 7, verse uh, 9, where he says, At one time I lived without understanding the law, but when I learned the command not to covet, for instance, the power of sin came to life and I died. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. The power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Right? He's coming into an awareness. And when it says, uh, there was a time where I didn't understand the law, in this chapter, like it couldn't have meant he hadn't heard the law because Paul was a Jewish person trained as a Pharisee. He knew the law better than anyone. He knew morality better than anyone. But then something switched when it seems God got the law from his head into his heart. And if you read the Ten Commandments, you'll notice that uh, laws one through nine, you 
could treat like a checklist, like, okay, I don't worship any idols, I've honored my mom and dad, you know, I gave them a call this past week, we FaceTimed, whatever, Uh, I didn't steal anything, I didn't murder anyone, I'm all good. But then when you get to commandment 10, do not covet, it becomes a heart condition. And at some point, uh, through reflecting on the law, God impressed on him like, no, actually, you haven't kept the law. There's something in your heart that's misdirected, that's misaligned. You uh, covet. You are self-absorbed. You are discontent. I think maybe the opposite of the word covet is to be content. And so you might ask people, you know, do you love your life? And they say, oh yeah, I'm good. I live a good life. But are you content? And this is where many of us don't realize until the end of our life that no, there's, there's something empty. I've been living my life uh, with empty desires and the money didn't fill it and the sex didn't fill it and the power didn't fill it and the makeup couldn't cover it up. The thing is, is that there's a lot of forces inside of us and outside of us that like to keep us in this place of ignorant bliss that doesn't lead to life. It's actually leading to our death, but we're, we're walking to our discontent uh, without even knowing it. And one of the things that keeps us from realizing the vice in us is, if you put up this slide, it's defensiveness, it's blame. These are the things you're going to see popping up on Facebook from our leaders, no less, in response to the events of the murder of George Floyd. This maybe is what you were feeling. You moved into the ideology. You filtered it through your politics. You felt, uh, you, you wanted to figure out who to blame for all of this. And, and maybe you felt yourself getting defensive. I mentioned Facebook, but Facebook doesn't actually uh, help this problem. And one of the reasons is, is that uh, in our vice, we tend to isolate. Uh, And in our vice, we tend to find other people who are just like us so that we're not challenged in the ways that we live or the thoughts that we have or even the words that we speak. Facebook, in my experience, has never changed anyone's heart. It hasn't even changed anyone's mind. What happens instead is that we find posts that we like and we read those posts and they reaffirm our position or ideas. And we find posts we don't like and we sort of let the defensiveness and the blame and the anger boil over. And so we're, once again, just even more deeply rooted in the ideas we already have. Notice these things in yourself. Notice what has come out of you this past week. Has your heart been hard or has your heart been tender? The things uh, that Paul recommend and the things that I would recommend to move from an unconscious vice into bringing these things to light are the examine. This is that God-driven reflection. Paul says in reflecting on the law, um, he came into an awareness of his own, uh, what's the word he used? What, what a, what a, I'm dominated by sin, he says. What a wretched man I am in one of the translations. You need the Holy Spirit to bring this to light, but you, can't, you don't get there without spending some time in reflection with God. You need community that is different than you, community that is committed to you, so that when you stumble over words, when you say the wrong thing, there is grace, but there's also truth. There is a more proactive approach 
there's the approach of saying like to somebody that maybe you've offended, like, hey, can I, can I just ask you what I did there and be truly open? Or people that you know and love in humility seeking uh, their input into your life. People that love you, that, that you can trust, that have your best interest in mind. There's, there's another alternative, of course, and this is uh, what we all, I think, want to avoid, and that's hitting rock bottom. If you don't do these proactive things, at some point, even if it's at the very end of your life, you'll hit rock bottom. And then your vice will come into view. Today, though, I want to do a little bit to move us from unconscious or conscious vice into conscious virtue. How do we move toward a life and toward a heart that is whole and, uh, and beautiful and, and oozes forth um, you know, love and kindness and mercy? Well, Paul here again says what won't work. More morality won't work. This is basically religion. Like if, if we just implement try harder strategies or if, if we try to come up with five-point plans to not just please God but improve ourselves, we, we hit a roadblock. Uh, Mr. Hyde wins without the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, without the, the unconditional acceptance of God and, and the love of Jesus, like, we get stuck. Another thing that I think people in churches have often tried is like, if I just feel really guilty or if I just feel a lot of shame, then, then I'll move from uh, vice to virtue. But I mean, this hasn't, it certainly hasn't worked for me and the research confirms that guilt and shame are very poor motivators. I remember like when I was aware in my, uh, you know, early teens and through college, there was, some, so there was some vice in my life and I was trying to get rid of it. So I'd meet with some other guys and I'd say, hey, I really screwed up this week. And they'd say, yeah, we'd really screw up this week. And we'd all feel really bad together. And then we'd come back together the next day. I screwed up this week too. And they screwed up. And, and, and we just, we tried the guilt and shame route. And for years, it was just more, it got old. There was, there was no life there. So what is the answer? If, if trying to be more moral just makes it worse, just actually inflames the power of sin in our hearts, what can we do? Paul comes to a conclusion at the end of verse, or chapter 7, verse 8, 25. Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. I'm going to say it again. We need our hearts to change. Blaming and defending are, are ways that keep vice and sin active in our life. But there's, there's a rich theology behind what Paul is saying here. He is saying Jesus frees us from condemnation. So as you move from vice to virtue, you will screw up. You will fail. But guilt and shame won't take you across the bridge. You need a life that is not dominated by guilt and shame. You need a life uh, and a person that answers that fundamental question that is inside of all of us. Am I accepted? Will I be included? 
And what Paul is saying here is because of Jesus, we are free from condemnation. And there's another word there that he repeats twice, and we belong. This is something Jesus does for us. Moving from vice to virtue doesn't get us in good with God. It doesn't earn anything for us. That's a different process. Our our process of transformation doesn't affect God's view of us. Paul says there is no condemnation. Jesus accomplishes that for us. What happens in transformation is that the Holy Spirit walks alongside us and offers us freedom. This is something we do with the Holy Spirit, what some Christians have called sanctification. Jesus frees us from from condemnation. We can't do anything to make that happen other than to accept it. But the lifelong journey of transformation is something we cooperate with the Holy Spirit to do. And the, the idea, the hope, is that we become more and more free. That the effort we put through or into our own transformation doesn't affect our acceptance, but the Holy Spirit will give that effort and space power to, to move uh, morality, to move goodness, to move mercy like into the depths of our heart. It's like it's, it'd be as if you were made into a new person. Like that's the message of Jesus and the Holy Spirit and, and God the Father's love to you. He's He's, he's not only paid a debt, but he's working to heal your heart. You can imagine if you, uh, if you ran a stoplight and crashed into a, another car. Like, you, you've actually not just hurt yourself because of your own sin, you've hurt someone else. And a policeman comes up and says, hey, you ran the, the stoplight, so there's a fee here. And it's a fee you can't pay. Jesus says, I have paid this fee, but there's still a wrecked car. In fact, there's two wrecked cars. And so the process forward is that the Holy Spirit says, I will help you fix this car. And I will help you fix some of the damage that you've done uh, to the lives of other people. This comes through finding a place to belong. Again, Paul uses this word twice. And, and what we find is that the power of the Holy Spirit is not just something that happens between you and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit uses people and events and circumstances to help form and shape you. The Holy Spirit brings a church of people together that is diverse in its opinions, in its politics, in its skin color, and as an, in its experiences. And that's one of the things that's so beautiful about the Vineyard Church is we have people of color and we have people who are Republicans and Democrats and who couldn't care less. And we have people who are rich and people who are poor. And there's something transformative about committing to a people like that. And not just showing up on Sunday, but doing real life processing and listening in life groups. Like, it's... it's, it's we see life groups as this place where you're accepted but also known. Don't settle for the cheap imitation of posting to Facebook so that your thoughts are known. Be truly known. In fact, I, I talk about Facebook a lot, and part of it is because COVID-19 has made Facebook one of, it, it's always been one of the easiest places to express yourself, but it's been in some ways because of COVID-19 limiting. 
And, and I would just urge you, when you feel a need to post, instead, send a private message to a friend. If you disagree with someone, call them. Don't do it out in public where people who don't know the person you're disagreeing with will chime in and, and bring division and anger and hate that, that doesn't belong on your posts. This idea of belonging runs deep in the Bible. It's always us. When Paul writes you, it's almost always you plural. It's almost always y'all. It's almost always about a community of people trying to live out faith together. And with that spiritual disciplines, we actually practiced a spiritual discipline earlier when we did confession. Spiritual disciplines are not just about self-improvement. They're about creating space for God to come and work. Uh, There's a great book out there called uh, The Celebration of Discipline that walks through a lot of these uh, disciplines. uh, Silence and solitude take us away from the distractions of life that will try to keep that unconscious vice down where we won't deal with it. Uh, After the service today, we'll be doing a discipline of uh, communion. It's it's a beautiful, uh, symbolic act that not just unites us to Jesus and his life-giving sacrifice, but it also symbolizes people coming together around a single table. And it's something that the church does across the world and has done across time. And it's, it's a foreshadow of that future where everybody's heart is transformed. And we don't have to live in a world where there's violence and chaos and looting. There's something transformative about worship there's something transformative about being in community. There's, there's hope when the people of God root their identity in Jesus, not in ideologies, not even in morality or, or religion. And so that's, that's where we're called today. We're called to receive God's love and acceptance, to experience the freedom from condemnation, that hopefully also leads us to neither or to not condemn other people. So we're going to now turn uh, our hearts to God and invite him to come in to maybe take us forward in this journey of transformation to help us to love people better. And I would just be sensitive during this time, like what is God laying on your heart. We, we see worship not just as one directional, but as a dialogue. We believe God will show up. He will make his presence felt if you open up your heart to him. Stop running. Turn to him. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. Jesus, your love is like an ocean. It knows no depth. It will never run out. And so we ask now that you would come and meet us. That you would do something in our hearts. 
that you would start to undo the prejudice and the selfishness and the greed and the idolatry. Let the new life flood in, God. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.